Uh, held in custody. Uh, a while back I did a sermon called In the Chains for Christ, and that was taken directly from Paul. Held in custody is also from Paul, because Paul spent a lot of time in prison. Now, the, the, th- in honor, the, the irony of it is that he spent his time in prison not for going out and arresting people and, and the, causing the problems to the Christians, but for being a Christian himself. He was in and out of jail all the time. It seemed like every time he turned around, there was some reason to throw him back in jail again. So the concept of him being held in custody or having that idea and concept was very common to him to understand. He was literally held in custody many times. In chains for Christ would be another expression of that. Happening. So I would like you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, where he brings up this experience that he's had again and frames it into a great truth for us to understand. Galatians chapter 3. We're going to look at the latter little part of it towards the back and then into chapter 4. But here in Galatians 3, beginning verse, verse 23, before the coming of this faith, stop right there. Before the coming of this faith, what was he talking about? Before the coming of the faith, the faith that people were going to have, the growing of that. He said, we were held in custody. That's where I took it from. We are held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. And the faith he is talking about is the faith in Jesus. So now he's going to contrast two great truths. Two different things that are going to be held, and so we can see the contrast between them. Because it is crucial to understanding about what he meant for those who are coming to this faith, coming to the belief in Christ. So he holds these two in contrast with us. Faith in Jesus and obeying God's law. Now, if you were a Christian and been a Christian a long time, or grew up in a church and are uh, part of the Christian faith, then you would know about that Moses received God's law on Mount Sinai. When he went up there, God took the tables of stone and he wrote for them with his own finger. He put down the ten words as they are known in Hebrew, the ten commandments. He gave them to Moses and Moses took them. So that particular... Now some, some believe that all the ten commandments basically came from just at Mount Sinai. But Paul makes the case, if you're familiar with the writings of Paul, he makes the case that, yes, the law was given in the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, but the principles of them were long from eternity before. Long before Paul makes that case with him. So, but anyway, so he was gave to Moses the Ten Commandments law. So the law of God serves as a different function to us. It has three specific functions in which it's going to help us understand the case today. First one. The first one is that it showed people how really sinful they were. Who could keep the law without facing failure? Now, you look at the Ten Commandments, and the reality of it is, as you look, if you are honest with yourself, that you'll have to look at it and say, whoops, I have blown it. And at least one... Paul says we've broken all of them. And in reality, if you're really honest with them, I have to go, yes, because Jesus expanded it. So, well, I've never murdered anybody. But Jesus said, if you've hated someone in your heart, you've already murdered them. So it went beyond that. So the law of God applies to us 
to all of us. So we might look at that and face that because he said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Paul said. All of us have sinned. So in the reality, in facing that, showed us really how sinful we are. The law serves as a diagnostic function. I put that in for our physicians because they, they do that all the time. So it's a diagnostic function. It, it's able to show us our need and who we are. And it shows to us, in reality, we are sinners. Number two, the second function that comes uh, to us as to share with us is to lead people to see their need of Christ. It was to prepare them for a fellowship with God. It was a way of doing it. It was a way of saying, this is the way of having God in your life. This is what it would mean if God was in your life. Then these principles, these things that are in the Ten Commandments would be yours. It'd be part of it. Because that's what's meant by being in Christ Jesus. And three, the function comes up. God's law is to be a method, a guide to help towards understanding these great moral principles, which these moral principles are eternal. These conducts, these rules of conduct, are eternal principles in which we base a lot of our society on. Those very principles of how society is going to work. Because we say, thou shalt not murder, then we will say, yes, we're not to do that. And we have civil penalties, rather than religious penalties, for doing that very thing, do we not? So we have that came from those great principles out of the scripture. How to do it, therefore, about bearing false witness, about taking your neighbor's stuff, all there in that principle of there. So the Ten Commandments, in actual fact, were one of the great gifts God gave to us. God's Ten Commandments are a gift of grace. They were given to us to help us to relate to one another in a clear and moral way. They were given to us. All right, back to Galatians 3 after we get that. So back to Galatians 3. He picks up this again, and he goes on, verse 24. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. A guardian. Now that this faith has come, he said, uh, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus... You are all children of God through faith. For all of you who have been baptized into Christ have been clothed yourself with Christ, being baptized into Christ, being baptized. By being baptized into Christ, you're clothed with Christ. He makes that point. Now, I want you to see the connection between being in faith with Christ and being baptized, that we are under grace, law under grace, And we no longer have a guardian. The guardian is there, but we are under the grace of Christ. And I I want you to follow in his thinking, because he's very clear uh, to us as we look at that. The question is, well, should I be baptized? Well, next week we're having a baptism. It's going to be really nice. You have a wonderful occasion to have a baptism of two lovely young ladies. They're going to be baptized next week. Isn't that right? We're going to be here and go. Yes, they've got big smiles on their faces. Next week. So is baptism important? Is baptism important? Paul thought it was extremely important. Said to them, several reasons. A, baptism means your life is now dedicated to God. It is a statement of making that when I am baptized, I am now dedicating my life to God. That's what baptism means. I made a decision 
that this life is dedicated to Christ, giving it to him. B, you come up with baptism means that God comes into your life as your Savior. So when I get baptized, when I make that statement, I'm inviting God to come into my life to be my Savior. It's a statement that I make physically. Baptism means that the door to the church has been opened. And so that baptism is the doorway in the church. Have you ever seen the picture of the leaning tower of Pisa? Have you seen that? Leaning over, yes, leaning over. Look, The reason it's leaning over, it's because it's on a very poor foundation when it was built. And the reason why it's on a very poor foundation in there, you'd be interested in this, Kendall. The reason it's on a very poor foundation is because at the bottom of it, at the tall of that tower, at the bottom, is a baptistry. That's what it really is. That tower was outside of a cathedral, and it was a baptistry. So people were baptized in there, and then they went into the church. Some churches have the baptistry tank right in the entryway of the church. You have to walk around it to get in because that's where people were baptized, particularly old cathedrals. So these baptisms into the church. So the leaning tower of Pisa, so it was leaking because the water was leaking out of it. So it was, you know, watering itself and it started to go over. Well, we got to sure that up before it leans over. But it was the doorway into the church. So the baptism becomes saying, when I become baptized, I become part of Christ's church. I've made that decision, and now I'm part of it. I've made that step forward. De-baptism means that your ordination to ministry, and some people don't even understand that. When I get baptized, I'm saying, but I am now beginning my ministry for Christ. Whatever Christ would lead. So we ask these people that are being baptized, we'll say to them, is it your desire to follow the Lord Jesus Christ wherever he would lead you? And they will say, yes, it is my desire to do that. It's my desire to follow wherever Jesus will lead me. And that open door to ministry prepares them to be able to move forward, ordination. And that then signifies to the church family that this person has stood up and has been baptized, and now we are ready for them to go on into their ministry of Christ. And we look at, uh, it should be E, not F, One's is attached or belongs to Christ. One is attached and now belongs to Christ. I am now a follower of Jesus making that. So baptism becomes an entrance into the covenant with Christ. It becomes that baptism becomes that door. So what happens is it's it's somewhat like you're signing a contract. Now, that's kind of a... Different kind of way to say it, not really like, but it's, it's like you're putting your name down and saying, this is my agreement and my covenant with the Lord. I'm being baptized and this is my significance. It's like also being married, getting married to Christ. I'm saying to him, our baptism is, we are together, Lord. I am yours. I will follow you forever. So when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in John chapter three, he made some things incredibly clear to him when he was talking to him and going back for this is very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of the water and of the spirit. Have to be baptized of the water and of the spirit. Baptism of the water and baptism of the spirit. Jesus said that's the gateway into the kingdom of God. That's the way you need to go. And when Jesus went and was baptized himself, he went down. Why would Jesus need to be baptized? He certainly was, he certainly didn't need to be because of confession of sin. 
He certainly didn't need to to prove himself to be that. He didn't need to say that I am with God because he was with God, be and he was God. But the issue was that he was baptized to show us an example of how we should follow him, to walk in his footsteps. I also believe that there's another part of that. And the other part of that is that this is the theology according to Bill, so you have to take this with a grain of salt, maybe more than a grain of salt, but theology according to Bill. It seems to me that also when Jesus was baptized, he also got baptized for all those who could not be baptized. For example, the thief on the cross. When he confessed and became a follower of Christ on the cross, there was no opportunity for him to be baptized. So I believe that Jesus extended to him the grace of baptism in his behalf. Now, that's my thinking. You can do whatever you like with it, but at least that settles it in my mind about how that would work to fulfill that. So Jesus himself was baptized, and we follow his example in baptism. That was what's happened. So when these young ladies are baptized next week, When they come to make their stand, they're following the example of Christ and making that statement, I am his, and this is my commitment to them. All right, back to Galatians 3. Let's finish that. Therefore, there is uh, neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave or free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus Now, this is significant because he's telling us that through our baptism and acceptance, we become adopted into God's family, and we are all equal. We all recognize we are sinners. We all recognize that we are saved by the grace of Christ. We all are baptized. And when you are baptized into Christ, when you have it happen, it is the great equalizer that wherever we are, whoever our background, whatever we are, we are his child. And being a child of God was extremely important concept that Paul wished to get across to us, that we are God's children. One time I was reading about a uh, woman who was a, uh, a pediatric uh, surgeon. She was extremely well thought of. And she had written books, I understand, and articles, I should say. And, and uh, she was well thought of by our colleagues She went to one of the great schools and medical schools and very well thought of, but, and she lectured all over, but she thought of herself as being totally worthless. She thought of herself, I just, I just am not a very good person. I just, I just haven't done very much in this world. And all of us would go, what? Look what you're doing. Look what you're doing here. But she, in herself, thought, thought that in herself that she had to offer something more in order to be of worth. Prince Charles, in England, when he gets up in the morning, he does not think to himself, you know, I'm going to have to prove that I'm a prince today. So I think... I'm going to be really cool, and I'm going to be dressing, and I'm going to do some great acts so that people will look and say, that's worthy of being a prince. He never does. Why? Because he's a prince by heritage. He was born to be a prince. He's in the right family at the right spot. 
I had a physics teacher in high school, and his name was York. They were British, and he said that if the uh, Windsor House had not taken over from the York House, we, he said I would have been the king of England. Oh, is that right? He's now my physics teacher, so he, just, he makes that great claim. But he would have been there by birth. So it's very important for them to be by birth. To be in the heritage of them, it's very important that they track that so they know exactly what the royal line will be for the house in England. But in Christ Jesus, we have been adopted, verse 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. According to the promise given to Abraham of inheriting the good life, of being God's child, if you are in Christ Jesus, therefore you become an heir. Baptism is that doorway into becoming the heir. Belief in him, acceptance of him, this is my determination, the signing of my adoption papers, as it were. This is when I receive, I am now an heir. Galatians 4, he continues the thought on in the next chapter. And he goes on and says, what I'm saying is that as long as I'm an heir is under age, under age, he is no different from a slave, though he owns the whole estate, the heir, but he's under age. So he can't claim it. He's no more than like a slave. But the heir is subject to the guardians and trusts until the time set by his father. In which the fathers say, at the age of 21, you or whatever it may be, you will now be responsible. This will be your turn and you will be the leader now. You're going to be the head. You become of age. Before that date, before that happens, then they are just a kid at the house, you see. And so you are not, you are not the heir. You're the heir, but you are not responsible. So he goes, so also, when we were underage, We were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of this world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that they may receive adoption to sonship and daughtership. Because we are the sons of God, God set the spirit of his son into your hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So long as you are no longer a slave, but God's child, and since you are his child, he has made you also an heir. Therefore, it doesn't matter about the degrees that hang on your wall. It doesn't matter about the size of your bank account. It doesn't matter about the languages you speak. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter what matters, really matters, is who you are a child of. That's what really matters. And you are, by faith, a child of God. There is no higher status than that. You cannot be, if you were to be in the royal house in England and to be a princess, when she just became, just got married, been reading about her. 
It is not able to attain the airship that you have. She's still below. Unless she is in Christ Jesus. Because there is no higher air than to be related by Christ's blood, to be bought and to be his child. Therefore, as an heir to the promise, you have status because you are God's child. There's nothing greater than that. Nothing greater than that. Therefore, you become an heir, an heir to God. Let's think for a minute. He uses the concept of a life of a child, actually, in his writings. That's really what he was implying with. And it talks about life as a child as you grow up. And if you think about life, growth along, uh, growth alone determines freedom as you grow, as you get more responsible. I'll never forget the time that I went out and learned how to ride a bike. I have this picture because I don't have a picture of my dad helping me. But I remember him getting me on a bike, my first bike, and I think I'm about five years of age, and he, he has a hold of the seat behind me, and he's trying to teach me to balance on my bike as he's running along behind me, just like this. I can just see that picture of him. You know, a bike represents a lot of freedom to a child. And once you get the bike, once I got the bike, I was able to go around the block by myself. And I rode all around the block. Can you imagine? Mom and Dad weren't with me. I rode my bike all the way around the block. And I could go down to the candy store by myself. And buy a candy bar when they weren't looking. (laughs) Had my bicycle. And I rode my bicycle all over. Greater and greater freedom. And eventually, of course, as you get greater and greater, uh, then you eventually get a car. And then you're really free. Oh, now I can go. My dad, my dad was sharp. He, he, um, would not give us a credit card for our gasoline. In our car, we had to drive back and forth to school. So he had arranged with a gas station at the bottom of right in our neighborhood. Right, it was down at the bottom of our hill. Arranged with there that he would fill up our tank, and then when my dad came by to fill up his tank, he'd pay for all the gas together. So I could only go one half of a tank of gas away from the house. Then I had to be sure I was back. Unless I came up with my own money, and of course I was poor. So I had to make sure that I got back. Wherever I went, I could only go one half of a tank away to get one half tank back. And sometimes that was on fumes, and I was wondering if I was going to make it. But we made it because a child, a child must have guardians. You must have guardians to help you. You as parents understand that. That you, you put barriers around your children to say, oh, no, no, wait, you can't, no, and don't eat that. No, you're not going to eat that. No, you're going to spoil your dinner. And so parents act as guardians around. So the law of God acts as a guardian around it. We don't look at our parents. Sometimes we get angry with our parents or we think, oh, that was terrible. They won't let me eat that ice cream again today. They, 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 my parents will hold back. Sometimes they will do that. But in reality, they're doing it because they love me. They gave me those requirements because they love me. Just as God gave us the law because he loves us. He wants the best. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to be free. 
And as the guardians went, as growth happens, it's in our ability, in our ability and willingness to permit Christ to take control inside our life, control of his inward life. It's a person who lets Christ you come. Now, you think about this for a moment. Jesus' disciples were amazing. Here were 11 fishermen, basically had just the most basic education, been working with their lives. And Jesus entrusted to them the freedom that comes only in a relationship with Christ. Those 11 men, Judas was gone, but he entrusted to those 11 men the great teaching of the gospel, the great teaching of freedom that comes from Christ, that great thing that he gave, he entrusted to the, these 12, these 11 men. He gave it to them. And can you imagine the influence those 11 men have had on our world, including the freedoms that we treasure here in the United States today? Where they came from. You look back to the Judeo-Christian tradition and you find those freedoms that have been offered to us through those 11 men who taught us the great truth about Christ. So it adds up, it adds up to what a person permits Christ to do in his life, permits. Therefore, John told us, if the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. The cross, the cross is the means of redemption that we might be adopted as sons and daughters. The cross is what makes that possible. It is Christ Jesus who offers to us for us to come to him, for us to make our way to him. Perhaps you need to make that decision about being baptized. Perhaps in your life you need to make that decision about I need to be letting God have more control in my life. Just as Steve mentioned about, I need to let God trust me with my finances. Whatever it may be in your life, I know what it is in mine. That I need to let go and say, I'm going to live in the freedom of Christ Jesus. I'm going to live in his grace. Thank God for the law of God to teach me what it means to live and be in a moral okay with my God and with my world. Thank God for that great gift. I look for him to give me the power to take Christ in, because when I take Christ in, along comes those great moral principles. Those great things to be taught to me. Wherever your experience is, find that avenue and that roadway, would you? Find that way. If you need to make a decision to be baptized, these young ladies have, then make that decision to come and to follow God wherever he would lead you. Because it's significant. And it's importance to you and your relationship to Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for this powerful message from Paul. I thank you that as we look at these scriptures together, in his analogy of being free in Jesus, that saves us from our sins, I thank you, Lord, for that. I thank you that we can have that beauty and share with us. I thank you for the gift of baptism that you give to us to show and to follow. Be with us as we do so. Some are making decisions now. Some have made their decision and will be baptized soon. Some are on their way. Lord, we ask, Lord, that you will help all of us to enjoy the freedom that comes 
and being adopted to be sons and daughters of yours. In Jesus' name, amen.